Hey Rebels, welcome to another edition of Rebel Parenting. I'm your host, Ryan Dobson. Not joined by Laura today as we are still in recovery mode. Thank you for your prayers. We appreciate it so much. You can find out more updates at facebook.com slash rebelparenting. In the meantime, we have one of the most listened to broadcasts of our history. It's with a friend of ours. His name is Christopher Yuan. I'm going to read a little bit from his bio. It says, what many would consider their worst nightmare has become a reality for Christopher Yuan. While attending dental school, he began living promiscuously as a gay man and experimenting with illicit drugs. Within a few years, he was expelled from dental school, imprisoned for drug dealing, and discovered that he was HIV positive. But God has turned his nightmare into an exciting and inspiring story of redemption, grace, and transformation. Christopher has an understanding heart for and a desire to minister to those working through issues of sexuality and to those living with HIV and AIDS. He speaks locally and internationally to youth on college campuses and churches and in prisons. You can find Christopher all over YouTube. If you want to dig deeper into this subject, I suggest listening to him. He is a very, very wise young man. He has a doctorate, graduated from Wheaton College. He has a master's uh, in biblical exegesis. He is such a smart guy. You are really going to enjoy this program. Before we get to it, I want to tell you about our exciting program. It is our mentor coaching program. We're going to coach you through the books that have changed our life. Laura and I went through the last two years, the most transformational authors, speakers, and books that we've gone through, and we're going to coach and mentor you through those books. For more information, head to rebelupgrade.com. Let's get to the broadcast. Here's Christopher Yuan on today's edition of Rebel Parenting. Christopher, thanks for joining us today. And uh, more importantly, thank you for being vulnerable. You've told your story many, many times, and I know that can be difficult, but it is also very healing to a lot of people. And this is a volatile topic, and we're going to walk a tightrope today, but I know we have the exact perfect guest to be on, and that's you. So thanks for joining us. Oh, thanks, Ryan, for having me on. Definitely. Christopher, you know, with the recent election, there's so much fear and hate and anxiety and uncertainty and stress going on with groups in America that feel marginalized, whether it's by race or religion or gender or sexual orientation. There is a great outcry uh, amongst those that feel marginalized or are marginalized or feel like they're in the minority. And especially in the church, the gay community or the LBGT community is feeling marginalized. And you come from a background that identifies as gay, and you're able to speak to this more clearly. Uh, and that's really why we have you on today. We want to talk about the LBGT community. How do we stand up for what we believe in or hold fast to our beliefs and yet make pe people feel less marginalized. So could you tell a little bit of your story and then let's jump into the conversation of how do we love our friends? How do we love our coworkers? How do we love the people in our church and in our communities next to us? Sure. You know, I I wasn't raised in a Christian home and so maybe unlike some of your listeners, I, I didn't have own a Bible. We didn't go to church, so I'm probably a lot like the neighbors, mm. your, our neighbors, and people who don't know Christ, and people who hold to a completely different worldview. 
my, my from a young age, I I wrestled with these thoughts. First time I remember about it was when I was exposed to pornography at nine years old at a, at a good friend's house, mm-hmm. a trusted family friend's house, found it you know, underneath the the sink, and and you know my parents, it was my my father's best friend, and they they had no idea. So that was the first time that I remember. It wasn't a cause, but probably more more as a catalyst. But I kept those feelings hidden through high school, college, even the Marine Corps Reserves. In my oh, early wow. 20s, that's when I finally came out, which is a little bit later than normal, mm-hmm. than, than today. And I came out of the closet. I decided I was pursuing my doctorate in dentistry in Louisville, Kentucky. I went home after a year of dental school, and I, I decided to come out to my parents. And I told them, I am gay. And, you know, it was actually my declaration. I'm like, this is who I am. you got to accept it. My mom and dad, they weren't Christian, and my mom thought she could give me an ultimatum. And she said, "You've got to either choose the family or choose that." She couldn't even she couldn't even say it. She couldn't even say well, gay. Well, this wasn't a choice. Wow. She could. I mean, you know, and 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 maybe in her mind, she didn't even know it. I mean, she didn't yeah. know what the word was either. Sure. Or so she just she just that. When you come from a very traditional <laughs> background, um, yeah, are you first generation American? It's very first generation. So my parents mm-hmm. came from China uh, through Taiwan, came here to to U S for graduate school. So I'm first generation here. And though we didn't know God, very Chinese were very family oriented, mm-hmm. and so it was all about the family, and family was everything, almost a God in a sense. And, and I would say, in many cases, it is a God uh, for many Asians, especially Asian mothers. Well, for me, this wasn't a choice. I left home, devastated my mom, mm-hmm. and my. Unfortunately, there's some backstory with my parents and their marriage. They they were had their everything was kind of falling apart after years of living as non-Christians. Their marriage was a wreck, so they were about to get a divorce. So my mom was literally at the end of a rope, and she was actually going to end her life. She had already decided this is it. No more reason to live, family falling apart, marriage falling apart. But amazingly, this is what's so just so wonderful about how God works, is that through the deepest, darkest moment, God entered into her, into her world. Wow. And, and through a little pamphlet that she got on homosexuality, it shared with the gospel, and she gave her life to Christ. Wow. I mean, he was totally 180, turn around. My father, within a few months, becomes a Christian. Well, I kept going in the opposite direction. <laughs> yeah. I was in dental school, but I also was on the weekends going out and partying. And, and and going out to the clubs, unfortunately began doing drugs. And, you know, Ryan and Laura, I need to be clear that not all gays and lesbians do drugs. Some <laughs> do, some don't, you know. But, yeah. you know, just, just some people who aren't in the gay community, totally. many right. non-Christians, they go out and party, do drugs, and that's just what they do. Yeah. And many so don't. And many, yeah. Right. yeah. Yeah, we can't stereotype everyone, but unfortunately that is part of my story, and I want to tell my whole story, but I also want to tell people that if you encounter the living Jesus Christ, truly encounter Him, He will impact every aspect of your life. So I began experimenting with drugs. I unfortunately began selling drugs while I was a dental student, and eventually I got expelled from dental school. Mm. And weren't you right about to to graduate? I mean, you were way at the end of your schooling. I was three months. Three months? Three months months before I was about to graduate, yeah. So I moved to Atlanta, further away, you know, from Chicago, where we're from, into the South, and and I kept doing how, how, what I knew how to do best, and that was sell drugs. My parents had no clue. They kept reaching out to me. I wanted nothing to do with it. They even came. They even came to visit me one time in Atlanta, 
And before my, and I told them to get out. I had enough. Mm. They weren't preaching at me. You know, oftentimes what you know parents feel like they have to do. I have to have to remind my kids what what I, what we believe and <laughs> right. remind my kids what God's truth is. And my parents didn't do any of that. Wow. But just the fact that their lives radiated Christ that was offensive to me. I told them to get out. My dad, before he left, gave me his very first Bible, and they walked out. And, I, and as soon as they left, I took my dad's Bible, and I threw it in the trash. Hmm. That's how much I hated God. Wow. I wanted nothing to do with their religion. And it was so obvious to my parents that I was totally unreachable and completely hopeless. But my parents committed not to focus upon the hopelessness, not to get consumed with my downward spiral, but they focused upon the promises of God. Wow along with over 100 prayer words, my mom began to pray a bold prayer, God, do whatever, mm. whatever it takes. And that's a bold prayer for a mother, actually a Chinese mother to make. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yes, it is. She was desperate. Yeah. Desperate. In her desperation, she fasted every Monday for seven years, oh. even fasted 39 days on my behalf. Wow. That is you, you know the movie War Room? Yeah. And the... The novelization of that movie, War Room, written by Chris Faby, was actually dedicated to my mom. Oh. You know, we, you just, she would be relentless. Yeah. And Well, that's even God, how she found you know, the Lord. She, she got a pamphlet on homosexuality that had the gospel in it. She was seeking you and found the Lord. Yeah. You know, your dad was exactly. seeking you, and they both found the Lord. That's a beautiful, beautiful example of parenting. Hmm. Exactly. You know, oftentimes, you know, when we talk to parents, who are so racked with guilt about about their gay son or daughter, mm. and 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 unfortunately the culture and sometimes I think the church places more more guilt and blame upon them that somehow, you know, oh father wasn't there long enough and they were absent or maybe the mother, you know, and and I do believe that that has an effect on a child, but that's not the cause, and you know you know perfect parenting does not does not uh, guarantee perfect children, right. you know, <laughs> right. I, I tell people that. The job of a Christian parent is not to produce godly children, but the job of a Christian parent is to be godly parents. There's a big difference. The pressure is, is not on us to produce perfect or godly children. It's upon us to be godly parents, and the rest is up to God. And So my parents, you know, they just cried out to God. They knew that, that it was only God who could change a heart. They were only responsible for their own lives, and, and that's still a big responsibility. Yeah. Yeah. They cried out to God, and God did answer that prayer. It came with a bang on my door. I opened up my door, and on my front doorstep were 12 federal drug enforcement oh. agents, Atlanta police, and two big German shepherd oh, no. dogs. So I was caught red-handed, yeah. and I, I, they confiscated all my money and my drugs, and I was charged with a street value equivalent of 9.1 tons what? of marijuana. Oh, no. Which I think in Colorado is legal, isn't it? Yeah, not <laughs> yeah. that much. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, you have to spread it out over so a few days, I, but it's something like that. Yeah. Oh goodness. Yeah. So I, I mean, you had to be facing serious, serious jail time, though. With that much, I mean, oh, you I was facing ten years to life. Yeah. And in federal prison, not state prison, right, but right, federal right. That's prison. That's a huge, huge charge. Yeah. And, and, and people always ask, "How could you get that much in, in in your apartment?" Well, the reality is, in the federal system, they make everything yep. equivalent to marijuana. Oh. So I didn't have barely any marijuana. It was all crystal methamphetamine, which by weight is is much more, uh, you know, stronger uh, sure. of a sentence than than marijuana. 
So I found myself in jail. Christopher, I got to ask, just, have you, I'm, I'm sure you've yeah. spoken to your mom about this, but your mom is praying to the Lord, Lord, anything, Lord, whatever it takes, Lord, do whatever it takes. Yeah. I want to spend eternity with my son. At any point when you were arrested and going to jail or prison, where did she have any moment going, oh, wait, I mean, oh, Lord, I, I don't want him to come back. I just don't want to come back like this. You know, was there ever a moment of hesitation where she went, oh, no, wait, I've made a mistake? You know, that's the, that's the thing. And, and you know, because first of all, you know, people don't realize, I mean, how much I put my mother through. So, I mean, it was it was just it was hell for my mom. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and, and so she was just desperate. And I think just in, in your desperation, it requires desperate measures. Yeah. So mm-hmm. she knew that it wasn't going to be just something small. You know, my mom even prayed, you know, God, if it even takes, you know, him being on his deathbed, that he's finally at his rock bottom, you know, oh. whatever. She really did completely give it up. And I think that's very, very, very hard mm-hmm. for mothers. Mm-hmm. Very, very hard for parents, I, I would say, especially for mothers. But um, we can't, as my mother often talks, we can't put our son or daughter on the altar, as Abraham did with Isaac, and then take our daughter and son back off the altar. we got to leave our, our mm-hmm. child on that altar and allow God to provide the lamb that he did and, and provide mm-hmm. the way out. So, you know, my, I, I called, so this is, this is so telling of what happened. I, I called home, and I didn't want to call home. Yeah. That was, you know, we all get a phone call. <laughs> and my, I was just expecting an earful from my mom. Right. You know, this, what did you do? You deserve to be where you are, but whatever. I told is. you I so. Yeah, I told you so. And my mother's first words were, are you okay? Mm. No oh. condemnation, no berating words, just words of unconditional love. I and love grace. your mom. Yeah. <laughs> Oh, she's the best, too. I do, do. Yeah, we love your mom. You know, so I, uh, you know, I, I, I began, you know, it was those words that, that, that began to draw me to, him, to, my, to himself. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So a few days later, that I was walking around the cell block, passed by a garbage can, and I was thinking this, you know, I just you know, just destroyed my life. Yeah. Passed by garbage can, I thought, this is my life. This totally is my life. Trash. I'm from upper middle class suburb of Chicago. My dad's got two doctorates. I was three months away from getting my own doctorate, and here I am in jail mm. among common criminals. So I passed by, I was about to pass by that garbage can, and there was something on top of the trash that caught my eye went back, bent over, picked it up, and it was a Gideon's New Testament. Mm. Took it back to my cell. It was in the jailhouse garbage. It It was in the jailhouse garbage on top of all the filthy trash. Someone had just placed it there, so I didn't even have to dig. I mean, it was was even a brand new one. Took it back to my cell, and I began reading it. I opened that book, and that night I read through the entire Gospel of Mark. But, you know... I didn't think this is the Word of God. I wasn't even thinking, you know, here's some answer to my problem. Actually, I just thought, I've got tons of time on my hands, (laughs) and i got to pass it somehow. But, you know, the reality is, words on the pages of our book, uh, the Bible, they're not just ink on paper, but as God's Word tells us, they are the very breath of God. And they began to convict me and 
they began to point out my sin and you know i i realized i rebelled not against not just against my government not just against my parents but against the holy god and i was thinking to myself you know what this is not good news people say this is good news well this wasn't good news for me and, <laughs> yeah. I, and I thought well how how worse could this could things get well it got worse mm. I was called to the nurse's office two weeks later, and the nurse gave me news that I was HIV positive. Oh. So that was the deepest, darkest moment. I went back to my cell, uh, cell block, and... Um, Christopher, what year was this? Just, this was 19, the end of 1998, actually right around Christmas. Actually, this is mm. right around this time, 1998. Wow. So I... Uh, there's one night I was laying in my bed. I mean, just like how worse could things get? I, I was just sentenced. You know, I, I was actually kind of thinking, oh, I'm going to get out of this. I'm, this is my first offense. The judge is just going to give me some, you know, probation or something. And I got six six years, which is actually better than 10 years to life. Yeah. But, but it's still I, I was six years. Devastated. Yeah. It's still six years. I mean, you know, and I was 28 years old. So six years, I'm thinking that's, that's a lifetime. Yeah. You know? right. I mean, that's right. what you think when you're that young. Mm. And... Uh, I was like, what, what in the world? Um, lay in my bed. I looked up at the metal bunk above me and someone had scribbled something and it read, if you're bored, read Jeremiah 29, 11. What? For I know the plans that I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you hope and a future. You know, and it could have been any verse in the Bible. But God knew that those were the very words that I needed to hear penned by a prophet thousands of years ago to a rebellious nation, Israel, to tell me, tell me, Christopher Yuan, me, 1998, that regardless of who I was, what I had done in my past, he still had a plan for me. Mm. I don't know where that plan was going to take me, but God gave me a faith to get through that next day and the next and the next. So my journey after that was pretty gradual. I mean, I realized that, you know, I had put my identity in the wrong thing. You know, I am gay. This is who I am, not what I feel, not what I do. This is not what are my my desires, nor even my strong attractions for another person or or the the same sex. This is who I am. And I realized that as I read through God's Word that I had put my identity in the wrong thing. Sexuality is not who I am, it's what I experience, but it's still not who I am, and I realize that my identity has to be in God himself. I'm an image bearer of God, and my identity needs to be in Jesus mm. Christ alone. Yeah. And, and, that, and, I've, and I knew that, you know, God says, be holy, for I am holy. You know, for the longest time, I had put my identity, uh, you know, I had thought that as a Christian, you had to become straight, you had to be heterosexual, right? I mean, that's what, you know, heterosexuality is normal, heterosexuality is God's standard for humanity, but I realized that, you know, even if I had heterosexual feelings, and even if they were exclusive heterosexual feelings, as a man of God, I would still need to resist lust. I would still need to flee temptation. Mm -hmm. I would still need to put to death my sin nature every day. So heterosexuality is not the goal. God doesn't say, be heterosexual, (laughs) for I am heterosexual. But neither did he say, be homosexual, for I am homosexual. God said, be holy, for I am holy. So the opposite of homosexuality is not heterosexuality. That's not the goal. But but the opposite of homosexuality is holiness. As a matter of fact, the opposite of any sin struggle is holiness. I don't need to focus upon whether I'm still tempted or not, mm. because we all are tempted. Jesus himself was tempted 
I need to focus upon what I do with those temptations. So change isn't the absence of temptations, but change is the ability to be holy even in the midst of temptations. Mm-hmm. And I think that was a transformation. That wasn't day and night. It took me about a year of you know in prison to come to that recognition that actually, you know, I, I, I'm reading through Dietrich Bonhoeffer's Cost of Discipleship, mm. and we cannot just come to a cheap grace. Yeah. Following, you know, I mean, yes, justification is nothing on it. I mean, God, God gives that to us freely. He's the one that woos us, but we can't just say, okay, I'm saved, and then that, that's it. No, I mean, this grace is costly, first of all, from the front end, in that God gave his only begotten Son, but on the back end, in that, that now that we're a follower of Christ, we will be led into good works. We will automatically, the, the result of that, the good fruit of that, is holy living. And, and that's costly. It's, 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 a, it's, a, it's costly to follow Jesus. Mm. It's costly to, to leave your nets behind. It's, it's costly to pick up your cross, deny yourself daily, and follow him. But that's what it means to be a follower of Jesus. I, I often tell people, following Jesus should cost us everything. Mm. And if it hasn't, Maybe we're following the wrong Jesus. Wow. Yeah. We agree. We do. It's a, it is definitely costly. I mean, the long story short, since then, you've gotten out of prison. You went to Moody. You've got your PhD. Yeah. You're a professor. Now, I mean, this is, it is, it is really an amazing transformation, but it's why it gives you license and it gives you expertise into speaking into this issue of marginalization, of ostracizing people, um, you know, for how they identify things like that. When did you start noticing the gay community felt ostracized, it felt marginalized? Um, at what point did you think, you know what, we really ought to be doing something a little bit different, or we should be doing what we're doing a little bit better? Well, you know, I mean, it definitely was, even before I became a Christian, I, I, I wasn't a believer, and I had these feelings from, from, from a young age. Mm-hmm. Uh, not to say that I don't believe that I was born that way, but I do believe I'm a born sinner. I'm born with a sin nature, and that sin nature expresses itself differently at different times. And so, you know, I, I, I had these experiences of attraction for the same sex, and I was petrified to tell anyone about it. I wasn't going to tell my parents. And though I wasn't a Christian, I, I felt... Uh, um, condemnation sure. from Christians, mm-hmm. and and some of that is through media and the way the media might portray us. But but you know, as much as we can point the finger at media, it's still a reality. Yeah. It, it is still a phenomenon that we can't get past. It's it, that that is how we're perceived, sure. and we could say, well, that perception isn't true, and and I I do agree. Those perceptions aren't true of the way that Christians are characterized, at least. At least myself, I, I, I might look at other people who might say they're Christian, and they certainly don't. I, I would not say there's fruit in their life, but they claim to be Christian, and and that could be true that they do express hatred toward the gay community. But but the people that I know who are following Christ and dying to self daily, that isn't true. But perception is people's reality. Sure, sure. So as a young age, that's when I realized that that I there there is is stigma. Uh, we can't ignore that, and and there is even stigma in the church, even even strong Bible-believing evangelical churches, because this is so volatile, and maybe we don't want to, uh, you know, open up a can of worms, or we don't, um, uh, you know, want to hurt people's feelings. 
we we don't say much about it, and when we do, it might be just more of a political conversation and little about mm-hmm. a pastoral conversation. And that that the result of that is that it, it gives the impression that this is something that we can't talk about. Hmm. How would you encourage, say, like moms listening? How would you encourage people just to even start to bridge that gap? You know, I, I think first of all we need to we need to talk more. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I, I think as <laughs> mothers and fathers, we need to talk. You know, um, uh, my best friend, uh, we roomed together at Moody, uh, and all, I was his best man at his wedding. He's got a family and three kids. Oldest is nine. Uh, second is, I think, seven. And then youngest is uh, maybe six or four or five. Anyway, uh, this good friend of mine um, just had this conversation with his kids, nine and seven, which was great. Uh, you know, he just, a few months ago, and, and talking about pornography and talking about sex and sexuality, you know, just at, at age appropriate. Yeah. Yeah. And he just, he just told me uh, just this week, he said his wife, was with the kids and they were just at the library and she was going to, you know, going to look for a book uh, on her own and the kids were doing their thing in the library, you know, in the kids section. And then the two boys came to her and she could see on their face something was, you know, not right. Mm-hmm. And the, the the oldest boy told the mom, said, Mom, uh, Joey or whoever, you know, one of his classmates who happened to be at the library as well, just showed me a bad picture on, on, on the computer. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. And it was pornography yep. at the library, of course, because libraries they don't they don't block anything, which I think is just negligent. I, I don't want to get into that. <laughs> yeah. I, mean, yeah. I, I mean, it's 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 horrible. Yeah. I mean, I almost think it can be even criminal in my mind. I, think I mean, it's, it's, it's horrible. That yeah. it, it's awful. It's awful. You know, it, in in the in the light of autonomy and freedom and of uh, freedom of speech, and we don't want to censor anything. Let's expose our kids to pornography. I mean, even pedophilia. Yeah. I mean, yeah. that maybe they, they they might draw the line there because they're really moral. They draw the line of pedophilia, but uh, I mean, it's awful. And and but but I'm so glad that you know, my best friend, he had that conversation. Mm-hmm. And to think uh, what what often um, I, I, I sometimes I, I want to grab parents and, and, and shake them a bit and say, no, the question is not when is it too soon to c- talk to my kids about sex and sexuality. The question now more than ever mm-hmm. is when is it too late? Oh, yeah. When is it too late? Huh. Kids are, I mean, kindergarten, there's already curriculum that parents don't need to even know about that's in there. But, and even a teacher can't even say, oh, you know, we all have two mommies, or, you know, someone can have two mommies and daddies. That's not part of the curriculum. That's just a comment that, that parents don't know about. So wouldn't we want our kids to first hear about sex at home? Yeah. Okay. Not in the public school, yeah. not uh, from television, not in the library on on those computers, not on the playground, not in the locker room, but at home. But re- today, kids, even ourselves, I mean, if we think, when was the first time we heard about it? You know, right. it, most likely, for most, it, it wasn't. I mean, you know, your your dad probably had those talks, but I mean, he's experienced on that. Yeah, but yeah. most parents, I think, w- did not. He's and the exception, that for is sure. really tragic. Yep, that's true. Yeah, it's true. Yeah. Christopher. Um, so having conversations is important. Definitely. Okay. Awesome. Here, here's one that I'm, I'm trying to figure out. Uh, I was watching the Science Channel 
on uh, our Apple TV the other day, we were watching how to build everything, and they were building a Mars rover. So it's as sciencey as you can possibly get. And I don't know if that's because it's on Apple TV or whatever it was, but there's two commercials that played back-to-back every commercial break. I don't remember one of them. The other one was L'Oreal, So Lashy, Eyelash. Is that mascara, hun? Yeah. Yeah, mascara. And the commercial starts with a late teen, early 20 boy with uh, full uh, makeup and, you know, over made up, you know, yeah. it was done on purpose. It was, it was very not gaudy. It was just overly done makeup and his hair was colored mm-hmm. and, you know, he's a little flamboyant mm-hmm. and he's talking about eyelash stuff. And then every we, other person. We would call that like, we would call that drag makeup. Yeah. Okay. Sure. <laughs> yeah. yeah, definitely. It's dra- very, very pronounced. Yeah. So, drag makeup is, is different than a transgender person crossing, you know, very more natural. So anyway. Oh, no, yeah, for so sure. This is definitely pronounced. drag makeup over transgender. Because I, I know transgender people. I'm, I'm yeah. yeah, I get it. Um, yeah. Yeah. More natural and, and oftentimes not even a lot of makeup. Anyway, so. My son yeah. is 10. He, he, yeah. he goes, Daddy, was that a boy dressed like a girl? And I go, yeah. Mm. And you could just see the wheels turning. It made no sense to him. And I'm not worried about that. And we had a good conversation about it. I think where I worry is kids are kids. You know, Lucy got a present a few months ago from somebody. And she looked at it and she goes, oh, I already have this one. I mean, just straight blurted it out. And as a parent, you go, oh, no, say thank you. Be thankful no matter if you have, you know, all those types (laughs) of things. And then it jumped to... What do I do when I'm with other families that have kids that identify differently than mine and they just blurt stuff out? You know, where we, how do we have that conversation where I can go, listen, you know, he's, you know, she's four or, you know, he's 10, right? Like, this is not an offensive thing. They're just asking questions. I love you. Whether we agree or disagree with decisions, how do we have conversations? If we, I feel like I'm stepping on landmines. I feel like I'm walking on crack, yeah. cracked eggs. I think so many people feel that way. It's like, listen, I love you. I don't know how to love yeah. you right now, but I really do, and I want you to know that I love you, whether I agree with you or not. I love you. I don't know what to say. I feel awkward. I got my kids here. I'm trying to raise kids, and this is confusing. How do you even breach that subject? I mean, I really do want to know. I want to jump in. I want to get in. Uh, you know, give us a couple of minutes of this. We're going to have to end the program, but let's do the bonus episode to really kind of dig in. What are the words we use? How do we say, I know you feel marginalized and I know, I mean, listen, I'm Ryan Dobson. How much more on the right-wing conservative, you know, side could people perceive me? Clearly people perceive me as hateful at times and I'm, I'm tired of it. I want to, you know, handle those differently. So how do I jump into that conversation? I think first, First, the best place to start is, is kind of just the, the posture, the attitude that you're taking now, like the you know, posture of humility. Like, mm. I want to learn. I want to learn from you mm. and, and actually tell people that. Just say, you know what, this is, I, I would love to hear more about your story and your journey and your, and your kid's journey and, and, and help me learn more about you. Mm. Like, you don't, have, you don't have to say, you know, I want to learn more about homosexuality or I, I want to learn more about transgenders. You know, just, just make it very, I, I want to learn more about... Mm you know, mm. whatever the child's name, and, and use the, the the child's name. If the child used to be Mary, you know, then, you know, if for, for the sake of conversation, um, you know, and, 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 and there's debate about that when it comes to names. I mean, we're, we're just talking about well, come transgender. Come on, it's okay, here, right? right? Like, honestly, I, I want people to settle down. If you used to be Mary and you identify as John, it, just because I call you John doesn't make you John, but I can call you John. I think it's okay, I mean, if you have friends that identify trans, you call them what their new name is, right? 
I mean, it's not just I, out of respect. You know, we're there's we it, it's it's such a fine line. I mean, mm. because especially when 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 uh, I, I I usually tell people it is. Uh, I think it depends kind of on the situation. I would pray about it. Mm. You know, it's, if it's someone, for example, if it's a parent, okay, well, let's just say your situation. You have a friend and your neighbor or your, you know, you have your group of friends from school, your kid's school, and they're just playing, and, and let's say 80% of them are unbelievers. So right. we're not going to expect them to, to have the Christian worldview that we do, and we can't at every moment say, well, I don't, I don't believe that. I don't do that. I don't, you yeah. know, and I want you to know that I don't approve of that, that you guys are living together and, and you're not married, but you have kids. And I don't want, I, I just want you to know that I, I don't, you know, whatever it is. You know, yeah, I, I think that's unnecessary. I don't like the movies you watch, yeah. whatever, the whole list yeah. that, that we can go down. Obviously, we can all go go, go through those lists. So I, I think in those situations, for the sake of building relationship, for the sake of the gospel, which I think must be, pri- you know, primary, I want to meet people where they're at. With that being said, with parents, with a mother, which we minister to a lot with, because of just the, the uniqueness of my parents and, and my ministry sure. together, our ministry together, that we get a lot of parents that come to us, and for them it is really, really hard to to get to that point, to mm. a, a child mm-hmm. that came out of their womb and that they named John is now 20 years later or 15 years later wanting to be called Joan. That's hard. I mean, really hard for a mom. So a few things that we tell mom, I mean, especially if, if the kid is saying you have to do this, one thing that I would say is tell the kid, you know, explain to the kid first how long did it take for you to process to get to where you're at, yeah. you know, to, to realize, to come to the understanding of your gender, you know, or, or your, your gender dysphoria. And oftentimes it's not overnight. It's usually years. And say, well, you know, you know, I love you. My, my, and they don't want to be called son or daughter, so my child, my kid. Right. They get, child and kid is, you know, is, is neutral. You know, I love you, and just know that you're expecting me to be where you're at in a moment what took you, you know, years. But also, when it comes to parents, I think it's okay. What what I would do is come to a medium, middle point. Yeah. And 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 to say, you know, for Chinese, it's a little easier because you could say, well, how about if I call you by your Chinese name? But most people don't have Chinese names. Yeah. So, yeah. Uh, but but what you could do is, you know, well, how about let's just can I call you J, the letter J, and that's well, you know, as we move into this and come to middle ground, I think I think that's okay because it is to to come to that point and change. Sure. I'm so glad you're doing this, Christopher. I really do appreciate it. You know, it's funny. My palms sweat a little bit. I feel so awkward when I'm doing this. But I do like oh, yeah. <laughs> I like where you're going. That's a great one because that's a great conversation to have with people. Um, if you're joining us, we've been talking to Christopher Yuan. He wrote the book, Out of a Far Country. And uh, we've been talking a little bit about his latest book, Giving a Voice to the Voiceless. Um, and we're talking about uh, when your child comes out to you or says, I'm struggling with my gender, or I think maybe identify with a different gender than I was born with. And in your asking, well, how long did it take you to reach this decision? And then relating in a loving way, you're asking me to be where you are in a moment that took you years. Let's come to some common ground. I feel like, you know, especially when you're dealing with teenagers or, you know, even in twenties, we're in this volatile time, there's hormones, there's all these things going on. And 
and we're also in a culture that really does value self above all else. And so um, that does make it a little bit trickier. It does. Yeah. And, and, you know, and often, um, even when it comes down to pronouns, uh, you know, I think the, when it, when it is, if it's an adult and say, I want you to use she instead of he, uh, and that can be hard for a person, not in the sense that they might not, you know, even if they want to, because you've done it for so long as the other pronoun, it is hard to switch over and change. Oh, Christopher, I've done that. I absolutely I've, have. So have I. Yeah, of yeah. course. And it was yeah, a huge it, accident, it's not easy. and <laughs> I felt horrible. And then you end up saying he, she, yeah. she, he, you know, and then it's, hey, dude, and then it man, just makes it work. I mean, sorry, bro, bro no, yeah. not, hey, oh, you. you know, yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah, I've yeah. stepped all over my so own what, tongue, eaten my own shoe, yeah. I feel terrible, and then I feel like I've done, in a way, irreparable damage. What What do I then yeah. do? I'm, I'm sorry. Yeah. Uh, yeah, so I, I think there's there's ways around it. And, and, and I think when it comes to the pronouns, I think this is a little bit easier, especially for people who, you know, who would have trouble with, with the name change. Uh, because when it comes to pronouns, actually there it is possible for us to avoid pronouns altogether. Uh, first of all, when I'm talking to the individual, the person who has asked me that, I never need to use the third person pronoun. Oh, yeah. I, 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 you know, unless I'm Yoda, you know, I mean, that's, <laughs> it's, it's awkward. You don't talk to people in the third person yeah. of yourself or them. <laughs> it's only first person for myself and second person for the other, that's you. Right. And that's, there's no gender to you. Unless you want to sound like Yoda so or that's... someone from the Jersey Shore, let's not go to the third person. <laughs> that's right. And uh, but then when it comes to talking to about that person with someone else, that's when pronouns would be used when that person isn't there. Mm. Now, I don't think that we need to try to do things around them, but we can still almost avoid it. It might seem a little bit redundant, but we could just keep using the person's name Mm. and and that avoids the pronouns altogether. So I I think, you know, there's. We can find ways to be more creative and to help us in in the way that we're kind of walking with it, and you know ourselves. It's a journey too, as as we're uh, coming to uh, grips with with a person's individuals, uh, you know, navigating through these issues of gender uh, gender identity. Hmm. Uh, one of the questions I wanted to ask: You had a YouTube video that was um, the distinction between singleness and marriage, and how most in Christian universities, we have this push to get married and get your MRS degree yeah. and things like that. Um, oh, yeah. How can we support singles today? Because I have a lot of single friends, yep. and I would mm-hmm. love to hear your take on how can we support that. Oh, sure. Well, you know, we, we, we I, I've, I've got to say, you know, I, I think as Christians, we have failed when it comes to singleness. Mm. And I think after you know, the reformations in the 1500s, there was such a push of just, I'm, whatever we are, we're not Catholic. So anything that like looked mm. and smelled like Catholic, we, <laughs> we resisted so, it. you know, yeah, we did. And, and we, we, the pendulum swung yeah. in, in the other way. So celibacy, you know, priesthood, that's, that's, you know, yes, I do believe in the priesthood of believers and uh, there is no other mediator except for Jesus Christ. Uh, but when it comes to celibacy, uh, or let's just say singleness, because yeah. uh, celibacy, I, I, I personally don't like the term celibacy. 
uh, when it comes because sometimes you say, "Oh, you're celibate now," or or so you're calling people who have same-sex attractions to be celibate. Mm, okay. No, because and the reason is. For, well, and uh, because celibacy can have a sense of just being celibate, like a temporary, like being it's equivalent to chaste or abstinent. However, I I do believe that it has more. Uh, there's there's more background. There's more kind of history and baggage with celibacy as opposed to just abstinent sure. or opposed okay. to just yeah. chaste. Well, and doesn't it uh, kind of speak more celibacy, to the... You were talking about how you don't identify as gay or straight or bi or anything. You identify right? as a follower of Christ. And if you're talking exactly. about celibacy, well, then you're focusing solely on the act of sex and nothing else about your life. Right, exactly. And so I, I don't... And, and also celibacy does kind of conjure up ideas of priests and sometimes the negativity of yeah, that sure. and abuse and all those scandals. And so I just kind of dropped that. Um, but it also, on the other side, maybe on what people would think of as a positive side, you know, people then talk about it as a vocation or as something that's lifelong. I don't view, I would rather talk about singleness that is not necessarily lifelong because the majority of singles that are Christians in the church they did not choose a vocation right. of celibacy. They did not choose mm-hmm. singleness mm-hmm. on their own. It was yeah. unchosen, and uh, you know, and, and and that's also another thing that people don't understand that you know, singleness or even the gift of singleness has to be chosen. I mean, I tell people singleness is default. There's, I've yet to meet anyone who's married who's born married. That's right. You know, you just you just are single. You're 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 that way from birth, and then you choose to be single married later. And mm-hmm. and yet, no one ever really necessarily chooses to be single. Even people who are widows, they did not choose that. Yeah, that's right. It just happened, and they are. And and but we can we can choose to get married. Mm-hmm. And um, so I, I think we've really failed in that realm, and we we've, we've got to do better. As a matter of fact, I I think that we need to. We're not even ready to address this issue of sexual identity or gender identity, or even sexuality in general, without first addressing this issue of singleness and, and redeeming it. Mm-hmm. We've, mm-hmm. we've relegated it to be a curse, and we've yeah. treated it um, you know, like, like something that's second best. One of my good friends, she was a missionary in China for five years, went there single, came back single, and when she was back here in the U.S., several of her friends saw her, and they were so excited, and they all asked her similar questions like, are you dating anyone? Yeah. Do you have anyone special in your life? Yeah. And she's like, no, I don't. And you know how they responded? Aww. Can I pray for it you? It will happen. You know, I know. You know, they, they, it was, they got, she got pity from people. Yep. And, and the sad reality is singles in the church do not need our pity. They need our friendship. Amen. Yeah. They need to be known that even though they might not have a family of their own, they belong to the eternal family, yeah. and that is the family of God. Yeah. And that is the one that is much more important than even our own families. Mm. You know, I think part of, that, part of the thing also is that we misunderstand when Paul talks about singleness as a gift. You know, people, I, I think most people know about that verse, coming out of 1 Corinthians 7, that that's, Paul says that singleness is a gift, that being not married is, a, is a, the word in the Greek, agamas, not married, uh, the closest equivalent to that is single. So it's, that's, it's, it's good. It's even a gift. And most single people that I know that are Christian, they don't like that verse. It's not, that's not like their life their verse. That's not the verse that they go to when they're feeling, you know, kind <laughs> totally, of down yes. or whatever. They just don't like that verse. Yeah. <laughs> I, I have friends that say, you know, I, I don't care what Paul says about that verse. What's the return policy on that gift? You know, yeah. <laughs> I, I, give, give it back. Mm-hmm. You still got that receipt. Mm-hmm. Like, it's like a bad Christmas present. I don't want that gift. Mm-hmm. And I understand that. I'm, I'm, I am single. I'm 46 years old. And I understand the challenges of singleness. 
and you know and yet there's also some blessings to that and from what I hear from people who are married, there are a few challenges to mar- to marriage as well. No, but there's also no. Some oh no, it's easiest. Are you kidding? <laughs> yeah, we have no programs that we've thrown away because we got into a fight in the middle and didn't want to air the fight on uh, public radio. Yeah, no. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so we realize, but but in our culture, you know what we do, Ryan? We we only talk about the immense blessings of marriage and the enormous challenges of singleness. Yeah. And that's the message that we give out in our culture, and that's what we give out even among Christians. Yeah. That, you know, after the Obergefell decision last year, yeah. June 26, the Supreme Court, they, they legalized same-sex marriage in all 50 states, striking down state laws, several, several state laws. Yep. And the, the majority opinion was written by Justice Kennedy, Supreme Court justice. And it was, it's very interesting. You could see the whole majority opinion online. He, at the very last paragraph, he wrote something that was very interesting and totally telling of where we at, are at today in regards to marriage and singleness. He said, marriage is the highest ideal of love. Marriage is the highest ideal of love. Mm. You know, when I read that, I disagreed completely. As a follower of Christ, marriage is not the highest ideal of love. It's good, and it's even very good. God gives it to us. Yep to be a blessing and, it, and it, there's challenges but it's also there's there's goodness that definitely comes out of it. it's a gift but it's not the best it is not the ideal of love god is mm. god mm. alone is mm-hmm. and the greatest expression of love that ever occurred to mankind is when jesus christ lays down his life for us mm-hmm. that's love wow. and as a follower of christ when when people say something different I need to respectfully disagree yeah. and, and help people to understand the beauty of what God really is. I mean, I'm sorry, what love really is. Yeah. Love is not sex. Mm-hmm. I mean, I know lots of people who have sex and they don't have love. That's, <laughs> that's a misperception yeah. that this younger generation have. They think that the, the most intimate expression of love is sexual intimacy. That's not... It's, it's, uh, that's that's probably maybe a, a very close expression of physical intimacy, but not the closest expression of love. Right. Or even, let's say, even rom- romantic love. Mm-hmm. Like, that's the most intimate that I could be with another person. I mean, I know some people who are romantic, and they don't really truly love one another. It sometimes complicates things even more. Mm. Uh, so it's not love, it's not sex, it's not romance. The greatest expression of love is Jesus Christ yep. himself. That's right. You know, God sent his son. That's it's sacrifice. Oh, you know? it's such a sacrifice. Love is not something that happens to us. That's that's another thing. We we think that love is something that happens to me. Love is completely something. It's 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 a sacrifice. It's not something that that occurs to me or something that I feel. It's something that that I do to others. That's right. It's, it's completely other. Christopher, when that decision came out last year, you published something. Uh, what was that, and how was it received? Yeah. Yeah, I co-authored a response. It was a short response, only a page and a half, and I and and I co-authored it with my really good friend, Dr. Rosario Butterfield, who's got a. Uh, uh, she also has a similar background, similar in, in the sense that she she was uh, a lesbian, and uh, well, actually, she described herself as as a feminist, and she would say I was a consistent feminist in that she lived her life as a feminist consistently and um, was in a lesbian relationship uh, and. She was a professor at Syracuse University, tenured, very um, mm-hmm. intellectual and extremely smart. And her PhD and postdoctorate work was in queer theory and feminism. 
she wanted to study the religious right, and part of her research was she needed to read that book that those crazy religious people, <laughs> Christian religious right people <laughs> read, and that's word. the Bible. Be careful. And, yes, and she read it as an English professor, using her hermeneutics and you know critical thinking, and, and God just rocked her world. Wow through reading the Bible, studying the Bible, and through a loving relationship with an elderly pastor and his wife, um, she was shown Jesus. Wow. And she knew that, she, that, that the way that she was living was, you know, I, I love, she says this in her book, she says, uh, my biggest sin was pride. She said everything around me was pride. She had pride flags. She had pride, you know, her dog, you know, ate from a little pride uh, doggy bowl, you know, is on her doorstep, everything, her biggest, you know, and she had to give up herself. Mm, Yep. So we co-authored something together in response because we saw lots of people responding, and there there were some very interesting responses, both sides, and we could kind of put them into two categories. One, of course, celebrating what you know what what people would call marriage equality and the other other side people grieving yeah. and then you know kind of giving their commentary and and oftentimes ending up to, you know reiterating and reemphasizing what traditional marriage is yeah. and what we saw was a mistake on both sides was uh, what we saw as an overemphasis upon marriage so we wrote our response and we called it something greater than marriage it's online you can find it uh, different places, Christian Post reposted it. I'll link it on uh, our website. Uh, Gospel Coalition. <clears throat> yeah. yeah. Say, what's the Something title again? Greater Something marriage. Greater Than Marriage. Something Greater Than Marriage. And, and, and it was pulling from Justice Kennedy's response that marriage is the highest ideal of love. And, and we just we need to be able to clearly articulate why it's not. It's good. Marriage is certainly good. It's very good. But it's not the best. Yeah. I like it. I like it. Christopher... It's been a great discussion. I'm so glad you joined us today. Thank you for your work. Please continue doing it, and I'd love to reach out to you, you know, periodically just to talk about this subject. It's not going away. People are still hurting, and we want to be there for those that are in need and those that are hurting. So if you could be a resource for us, we would appreciate it. I'd love to. So good to talk with you, Ryan and Laura. Thank you. Have a great one. Hey Rebels, we are out of time for today, but thanks for listening to our friend Christopher. He has such a heart for those struggling with an issue that is all over the news today. And honestly, it's listened to because Christians want to help. We want to know what to do, what to say, how do we interact, how do we not offend, how do we help more people find the Lord. And Christopher is a great resource. Look him up on YouTube. Go to his website, ChristopherYuan.com. That's Christopher Yuan, Y-U-A-N.com. Don't forget, head to RebelUpgrade.com. If you want to change your life, if you want to be a better parent and a better spouse, Rebel Upgrade is for you. Our coaching mentoring program through the 12 books that changed our lives most. We're going to do that throughout this next year. Again, RebelUpgrade.com. God bless. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next week.